0: Thank you for listening to sermon audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Father, we know that's the invitation this morning. Um, Without question, there's at least one wanderer in the room today. That's my prayer that um, through your word, through your people's singing, um, through, through what goes on in here today, that a wanderer will come home. Get your glory in this place. This morning, scream, I pray, amen. Good morning, Hill City. Grab a seat. My name's Brad, I'm one of the pastors here at Hill City Church. Uh, we've, been in the, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, um, so we're going to read. There's going to be a lot of reading, so if you have your Bibles, get them out and just hunker down, because there'll be a lot of reading this morning. So please join us.
1: This reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 24. Heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town, and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is the word of God.
0: And I suppose if I take each verse and give three minutes to every verse that we read, we will be done in 72 minutes. So. Because get pens out, get papers, and we will uh, see if we can even have the second gathering here. A um, little bit of nervous laughter, it's not going to happen. Okay, listen, all joking aside, I think that's the most important thing we do at church every Sunday. That's my opinion. But the reading of scripture, I don't ever want us to overlook that. This morning, we're going to stay pretty up here because there is a lot to cover uh, it would be impossible to hit every uh, verse and unpack this um, in, a, in a timely manner. So here's what we know. We've been in the book of Luke, and we've seen a switch okay, in the theme or the outlook of Luke. It actually started in chapter 9. So in chapters 1 through 8, we spent time looking at Jesus and who Jesus is. And then we saw this shift in chapter 9, we see it here in chapter 10, which shifts our thinking to now, okay, in light of who Jesus is, then what do we do about it, or how do we live? So we see Jesus, and here's what Jesus comes on the scene, right? Um, He's preaching, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, He's, he's raising the dead, right? And and he doesn't stop there. Like he takes his, his 12 high school guys and college guys that he recruited, dropouts. And he gives them authority. And what do they do? They go preach. And they go cast out demons. They go heal the sick and raise the dead. So in general, here's what was going on with Jesus and his guys. In their preaching... They were proclaiming something specific. And in their casting out demons, what was really going on was that they were liberating souls. They were liberating the oppressed. And what was happening within their healing of the sick and their raising of the dead was they were becoming active and mending the brokenness of society. Or mending the torn fabric of society. That is what they did. And if we stop in chapter 9, we can conclude that Jesus and his 12, which essentially are kind of like seen as who would be the leaders of this new church. So if we stopped in chapter 9, we could easily conclude well, that's like Jesus' job, and then the clergy's job, like those closest to him. Like all that that they were doing, like that should be left up to the pros. Now, here's the problem with that line of thinking. Chapter 10. If we stop in chapter 9, that makes sense. Chapter 10 does not allow for that line of thinking. We, see, we, we basically see this funnel. You have Jesus, right? And then you have his 12 that he picked, that he gave authority, sent them out to do things. And now we see this group of 72 given authority, sent out. Now these 72, many theologians believe this is a representation. Now it's a literal 72 or maybe maybe 70 or 72, but it's, it's, it's a representation of, of essentially all followers of Jesus. I didn't say all believers in Jesus. I said all followers of Jesus. So you might be here this morning and believe in Jesus, but so does Satan. And he trembles. Followers of Jesus. Here's my point. Everyone that knows Jesus, that worships Jesus, that follows Jesus, is sent by Jesus. I'm going to make up a word here, and I'm going to say it a whole lot today, and I know it's not a word, so just maybe to like my wife, who's a word ninja, I see Jeff back there, like we got some word ninjas in here, I'm making up a word, like I'm acknowledging that. Sentness. Sentness. Sentness is the mark of a follower of Jesus' life. Sentness defined is living on mission with a specific message. Now, that message is indeed the gospel or the good news of Jesus. Our identity is. Sentness with a message of Jesus. And here's the thing in our sentness, we do exactly what Jesus did, and we do exactly what his disciples did. We proclaim something specific. We become active in liberating souls, liberating the oppressed, and we become active and take part in mending the brokenness of society. That is the call on your life. Now, God has radically called you to radically send you. He's sending you to say something. Okay, you can look at many verses in the passage that that, that Clayton just read for us. Thank you for doing that, by the way. That was a lot of reading. So, like verse 9. It says, heal the sick and say to them. Verse 10, and say. Verse 12, I tell you. And then verse 16. To the one who hears you, hears me. Well, something has to be said if someone's going to hear something. Because there's like this myth that's infiltrated Christianity. There's actually this this quote, and and it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but he didn't even really say this. Everything I looked up and tried to study said he never said this. But he but 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 the quote is preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Listen, it is eventually always necessary to use words. There is a message to publicly communicate. And here's the reality and I'm saying this in love, just as a pastor that must say this at times, many of you are not living your sentness. Why? I want to talk about two possibilities today of why it may be that a follower of Jesus isn't living out their sentness. The first one, actually... Just stay with me. Reason number one. Now, I'm just going to tell you straight up, this is a hot topic. This is a hot button issue. Reason number one. There is a belief inside of the church and outside, no doubt, but it's also inside of the church, and there's this idea that Jesus is awesome. Like, I am so cool with Jesus, but Christians should not really try to get people to believe what they believe. So like non-Christians are just like, man, you just shouldn't do that. And Christians who kind of have this stance might say, well, I'm just not comfortable talking about Jesus or pointing people to him. Now here's the problem with that. See, Jesus made some very bold claims on his life on earth. Like he's shown his authority, right? We've seen it. In the past weeks, he's shown us authority over sick. He's shown us his authority over the weather. He's shown us his authority over death. He's shown us authority over demons. He's shown us all of this. And then he says some things with it, like, my dad sent me here. Oh, my dad's God. And in this passage, he makes another claim that, that, that could have just slipped by us. But it was a big claim. And here it is. It's verse 18. Chapter 10, verse 18. Here's here's what he says I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what Jesus said. Here's what he's saying I've been here from the beginning, I am God. That's what he's saying. So, if that's true, and it is, if Jesus wasn't lying, then what he tells us to do is not advice for us to just consider. Like if he saw Satan fall from heaven, and he did, that means this, his birth, his life, his death, the resurrection demands a response from you and me. And listen, if you say, well, it's helpful for me to believe in Jesus and come to church and live this life and blah, 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 right? But then you keep it to yourself and you don't live as a sent person with a specific message. Here's what you are saying. I don't really believe that Jesus was who he says he was. Or maybe it's, I just don't believe I needed him that badly. It's, it's kind of a cool thing to sprinkle into my life, but I was pretty good before him. If you believe who Jesus is, who he says he was, the way, the truth, the life, It would be a very wicked and nasty thing to keep him to yourself. It's the best illustration I would come up with. It, it would basically be like having a cure for cancer and concluding that you should just keep it between your family and some close friends. It's like, well, you know, if they're meant to find a cure for cancer like and get healing from it, they will. It's not my place to share that with them. It's insane. Are you not living your sentness because you don't really believe? It's worth asking this morning. Reason number two that we're going to discuss today. The reason number two isn't that you don't believe, but it's that maybe you have pronounced yourself or believed what someone else has pronounced about you and concluded that you are unqualified or unworthy to live sent. Check this out. Verse 21. We're we'll just bounce all around today. So, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy, that's Jesus, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Okay, here's what we know. That is not literal little children. He was talking about this big group of people that he just sent out on mission. And this big group that he sent out, see what happened is they came back from being sent out and they kind of missed it. Like they, 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 they went out, they didn't have it all together, so they kind of missed it. And Jesus kind of helps them get it straight. He teaches them something. They come back, they miss it. Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm going to help you get it straight. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. And in verse 21, he praises God for them. He says, you have hidden these things from the wise. He's like, God, you you have given me this group of people who culture and the religious elite would say is totally unfit for any mission of God. Jesus, uh, that's what he's saying in this prayer. He says, little children. He's like, these misfits. God, you, you revealed yourself to them. You've given me this group of people who are essentially deemed moral failures. Thank you, Father. And he rejoices in them. If there is ever a theme of the Bible that you and I have to like get and re-get and re-get, it's this, that God takes messed up people and then he restores them and then he uses them in their brokenness for his great purposes. You want, want to do a list with me? Let's do a list. I love lists. Everybody watch ESPN? There's always a list, like top five teams, top six defense, whatever. Let's, want, let's do a list. Okay, Rahab, we'll start with her, prostitute. Samson, let's go there. Slept with any girl that had two legs. Jacob, a liar. Ruth, comes from a family of incest. Think there are in some voices in that head? Moses, murderer. David slept with his main man's wife, then had his main man murdered. Peter blatantly denied Jesus. Paul murdered Christians. Listen, these are the good guys. Like I just named you a list of people on the winning team. Like these are the people we cheer for. And that's the theme of the Bible. Flawed. Messed up people, perfect and holy and awesome God. And that is the gospel. And for you to not live out your sentness because you believe you messed up too badly is to miss the gospel. Let's reason together. will have some more fun here. Let's, let's just reason together for a minute, okay? So, Jesus died on the cross, amen? Okay. When he died on the cross, he died for past sins, present sins, and future sins. Not going too fast, right? You guys with me? Okay. So that means this, when Jesus died, all the sins that were ever committed by all the people in this room were future sins. Still with me? Jesus was God. Another puzzle piece. Okay? That means this. He knew the future. You see where I'm going? He knew your sins. And he knew my sins. While he was being spit on in his face. While a crown of thorns was being jammed into his skull. He knew your future sins while he was being turned into hamburger, unrecognizable on a cross. He knew your sins. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So however nasty it ever got, in your darkest hour, the nastiest moment of your life, listen, it did not surprise God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to me. Jesus became the worst part of you. Jesus died for your nastiest moment so that you could become his righteousness. So to the guy who slept with more women than he can count. To the young lady who got pregnant from a one-night stand. To the spouse who had an affair. To the guy or girl who numbs their pain day in, day out with like pills or something else. To the girl who had an abortion. Whatever, whatever it is, that thing, that moment... That sin that comes back over and over and it comes back as this fist of guilt and just punches you in the face. Punches you in the gut. The moment that is the source of your greatest shame. Jesus radically became that. He knew about it before time, and he brutally died for it. And that is the gospel. Now listen, because of that, now go and live your sentness, because the gospel frees you to do that. And that's our motivation. That's Our motivation, the truth of the gospel, let that be your motivation to proclaim a specific message. To liberate souls. To mend the brokenness of society. Let the gospel be your motivation. Now, there's an important thing to remember. and this is a big deal. Because I know a lot of the stories in the room. Look at verse 3. Go your way, behold, I am sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. You living out your sentness will make no sense to wolves. You better believe that this morning. Like, why would you waste your Sundays there? That seems stupid. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You give what percentage of your money? Are you stupid? Well... You must have drank the Kool-Aid. That's real. And listen to me. This is my encouragement to you this morning. Lambs never turn into wolves. Don't let your pain in the moment where people think you're an absolute fool for following Jesus, don't let the pain of that moment be your motivation. Don't let pride in that moment be your motivation. Because even when you're hurt by those who actually should love and support you the most, what your gut's going to tell you to do is be a wolf, bite back. Don't do it. Stay gentle. You are sent out as lambs. And you are sent with a specific message. Now hear me, that message will be crippling without proper motivation. Like the church has her dark spots, amen, right? Like where people have taken the truth of the gospel and they've used it with improper motivation and they've done a ton of damage. We're, that's real talk. The message of the gospel can be crippling without proper motivation. So look at verse 17. This is where, see, Jesus sends out these 72 and they kind of missed it. You got to pay really close attention to what they came back saying. It was, it was, it, they were improperly motivated. The 72 returned, this is verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Easy to miss. But they came back, they were pumped. But you know what they were pumped about? Their power. They were pumped about their religious performance. They were pumped about their gifts About their accomplishments. They were pumped about their ministry. So Jesus addresses it. Verse 18, he's like, Hey, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority. It was Jesus who gave it. Verse 20, he sets them straight. He says, look, your your, your motivation was in you. Here's what your motivation should be. Here's what you should rejoice in. Jesus said, I gave you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the, the, the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Past tense. You're not working to have your name written in heaven, it's not how it works. Now listen, in this culture, you have to understand to have your name written somewhere was a really big deal. Like towns, each little town would have this roll book where they would do a census and and names would be written in that book. But listen, only citizens had their names written. But it's not just like, oh, if you live in that town, you had your name written. No, no. Only somebodies could be citizens in this culture. Servants and peasants and nobodies, they did not get their names written. It doesn't mean a ton to us to hear that our names are written in this culture. This is a big statement that Jesus makes right here. He says, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, here's what he's saying Rejoice in grace that has been given to you. What are you rejoicing in? Hill City Church, what do we rejoice in? Do we rejoice in ourselves? Do we rejoice in our performance? Do we rejoice in our ministry? My ministry? So he teaches it. And and I I have to conclude that after he taught them about this, hey, rejoice that your name's be written, it seems to me that something clicked and they kind of got it. Just, Just based off the prayer that Jesus goes into in that same hour. So it's like we're not like reading a prayer that happened days later. Like he teaches them, I think they get it. And then he starts praying. that same hour, he rejoiced. And the Holy Spirit said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except for the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This is Jesus going before the Father after He sends out this group of unqualified people, nobodies. They kind of mess it up. They were faithful, but they kind of mess it up. They come back. He teaches them. And then He just goes before the Lord and says, Father, I love the way that you build your family. I love the way that you save see Jesus taught us how to rejoice and in what to rejoice I want to leave us with this this morning I want you to live out your sentness. And that can happen if you will rejoice in the grace that's been given to you. If you rejoice in anything that you have done, it will abandon you. If you rejoice in anything outside of the grace that has been given to you, your blessings will become your curses. We rejoice in grace, we rejoice in Jesus. And God, you've sent us. You've sent us out only after radically bringing us in. And we're humbled by it. And we thank you for it. And ultimately, we thank you for Jesus. Here's my prayer, Lord. I, I just do not, I just can't fathom that there are people in in the room, or at least very many, who just don't believe. But I do think there are more people in the room who just proclaiming themselves unworthy or unqualified. God, I pray for courage for those people. Courage for everyone in the room to live out their sentness.